The Tragedy of Macbeth by William Shakespeare. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Dramatis Personae First Witch Read by Charlotte Zuckett Second Witch and Servant Read by Grace Garrett Third Witch and Gentlewoman Read by Libby Gone Duncan, King of Scotland Old Man and Lords Read by Algie Pug Malcolm, Son of Duncan Read by Kate Barrett Sergeant, Third Murderer and Soldiers Read by Todd Lennox, Nobleman of Scotland Read by Robin King Ross, Nobleman of Scotland Read by Ariel Lipshaw Macbeth, General of the King's Army Read by Phil Banson Banquo, General of the King's Army and Seward, Earl of Northumberland, General of English Forces Read by Alan Matstone Angus, Nobleman of Scotland and Second Murderer Read by Ernst Bottinama Lady Macbeth Read by Bev Stevens Messenger and Attendant Read by Capricia Page Fleance, a son to Banquo And Young Seawood, Seawood's son Read by Lauren Burwell Porter Read by Jessa Mills Donald Bain, son of Duncan And Caithness, nobleman of Scotland Read by Francis Brown Macduff, Nobleman of Scotland Read by Alan Wayman First Murderer Read by Martin Geeson Hecket Read by Eden Ray Hedrick Doctor Read by Beth Thomas Apparitions Read by Elizabeth Clatt Lady Macduff Read by Megan Argo Macduff's Son Read by Emily Jones Menteith Nobleman of Scotland, and Seaton, Officer Attending on Macbeth. Read by Todd. Narrator. Read by Algie Pug. End of Dramatis Personae. Act 1. Scene 1. A Desert Place. Thunder and Lightning. Enter Three Witches. When shall we three meet again, in thunder, lightning, or in rain? When the hurly-burly's done, when the battle's lost and won. That will be ere set of sun. Where the place? Upon the heath. There to meet with Macbeth. I come, Grey Malkin. Paddock calls. Anon. Fair is foul and foul is fair. fair. Hover through, through the, the fog and filthy air. Act One, Scene Two. A Camp Near Forest. Alarum within. Enter Duncan, Malcolm, Donald Bain, Lennox, with attendants, meeting a bleeding sergeant. What bloody man is that? He can report, as seemeth by his plight, of the revolt of the newest state. Tis the sergeant who, like a good and hardy soldier, fought against my captivity. Hail, brave friend, say to the king the knowledge of the broil as thou didst leave it. Doubtful it stood. As two spent swimmers that do cling together and choke their art, 
the merciless MacDonald, worthy to be a rebel, for to that the multiplying villainies of nature do swarm upon him. From the western isles of kerns and gallow-glasses is supplied, and fortune, on his damned quarrel smiling, showed like a rebel's whore. But all's too weak, for brave Macbeth, well he deserves that name, disdaining fortune with his brandished steel, which spoke with bloody execution like valor's minion carved out his passage, till he faced the slave, which ne'er shook hands nor bade farewell to him, till he unseemed him from the knave to the chaps, and fixed his head upon our battlements. O oh, valiant cousin, worthy gentleman, as whence the sun gins his reflection, shipwrecking storms and direful thunders break, so from that spring whence comfort seemed to come, discomfort swells. Mark, King of Scotland, mark! No sooner justice had with valor armed compelled these skipping kerns to trust their heels. But the Norwegian lord, surveying vantage, with furnished arms and new supplies of men, began a fresh assault. Dismayed not this, our captains, Macbeth and Banquo? Yes, as sparrows, eagles, or the hare, the lion. If I say sooth, I must report they were as cannons overcharged with double cracks, so they doubly redoubled strokes upon the foe. Except they meant to bathe in reeking wounds or memorize another Golgotha, I cannot tell. But I am faint. My gashes cry for help. So will thy words become thee as thy wounds, this smack of honour of both. Go, get him, sergeant. Exit sergeant attended. Who comes here? Enter Ross. The worthy thing of Ross. What a haste looks through his eyes. So should he look that seems to speak things strange. God save the king. Whence camest thou, worthy thing? From Fife, great king, where the Norwayan banners flout the sky and fan our people cold. Norway himself with terrible numbers, assisted by that most disloyal traitor, the Thane of Cawdor, began a dismal conflict, till that Bellona's bridegroom, lapped in proof, confronted him with self-comparisons, point against point rebellious, arm against arm, curbing his lavish spirit. And, to conclude, the victory fell on us. Great happiness. That now Sueno, the Norway's king, craves composition. Nor would we deign him burial of his men, till he dispersed at St. Colme's inch ten thousand dollars to our general use. No more that Thane of Cordor shall deceive our bosom interest. Go, pronounce his present death, and with his former title, greet Macbeth. I'll see it done. What he hath lost, noble Macbeth hath won. Exeunt. Act One, Scene Three. A heath near forest. Thunder. Enter the three witches. Where hast thou been, sister? Killing swine. Sister, where thou? A sailor's wife had chestnuts in her lap and munched and munched and munched. Give me, quoth I, a rointhy witch, the rump-fed Ronion cries. Her husband's to Aleppo gone, master of the tiger. But in a sieve I'll thither sail, and like a rat without a tail, I'll do, I'll do, and I'll do. I'll give thee a wind. That kind. And I another. And I myself have all the other. And the very ports they blow, all the quarters that they know, ere the shipman's cards. 
I will drain him dry as hay. Sleep shall neither night nor day hang upon his penthouse lid. He shall live a man forbid. Weary said nights nine times nine shall he dwindle, peak and pine. Though his back cannot be lost, yet it shall be tempest-tossed. Look what I have. Show me, show me. Here I have a pilot's thumb, wrecked as homeward he did come. Drum within. A drum, a drum, Macbeth doth come. The weird sisters, sisters, hand in hand, posters of the sea and land, land thus do go about, 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 thrice to thine, and thrice, thrice to mine, mine, and thrice again to make up nine. Peace, the charms wound up. Enter Macbeth and Banquo. So foul and fair a day I have not seen. How far is called to Fares? What are these so withered and so wild in their attire, that look not like the inhabitants of the earth, and yet are on't? Live you, or are you aught that man may question? You seem to understand me, by each at once her choppy finger laying upon her skinny lips. You should be women, and yet your beards forbid me to interpret that you are so. Speak, if you can. What are you? All hail Macbeth. Hail thee, Thane of Glams. All hail Macbeth. Hail to thee, Thane of Cawdor. All hail Macbeth. Thou shalt be king hereafter. Good sir, why do you start, and seem to fear things that do sound so fair? In the name of truth, are ye fantastical, or that indeed which outwardly ye show? My noble partner you greet with present grace, and great prediction of noble having, and of royal hope, that he seems wrapped with all. To me you speak not. If you can look into the seeds of time, and say which grain will grow, and which will not, speak then to me, who neither beg nor fear your favours, nor your hate. Hail. 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 Lesser than Macbeth, and greater. Not so happy, yet much happier. Thou shalt get kings, though thou be none. So all hail Macbeth and Banquo. Banquo and Macbeth, all hail. Stay, you imperfect speakers. Tell me more. By Sinal's death I know I am Thane of Glamis, but how of Cawdor? The Thane of Cawdor lives, a prosperous gentleman, and to be king stands not within the prospects of belief, no more than to be Cawdor. Say from whence you owe this strange intelligence, or why, upon this blasted heath, you stop our way with such prophetic greeting. Speak, I charge you. Witches vanish. The earth hath bubbles as the water has, and these are of them. Whither are they vanished? Into the air, and what seemed corporal melted, as breath into the wind. Would they had stayed. Were such things here as we do speak about? Or have we eaten of the insane root that takes the reason prisoner? Your children shall be kings. You shall be king. And Thane of Cawdor too, went it not so? To the self-same tune and words. Who's here? Enter Ross and Angus. The king hath happily received, Macbeth, the news of thy success, 
and when he reads thy personal venture in the rebels' fight, his wonders and his praises do contend which should be thine or his. Silenced with that, in viewing o'er the rest of the selfsame day, he finds thee in the stout Norwayan ranks, nothing afeard of what thyself didst make, strange images of death. As thick as tail came post with post, and every one did bear thy praises in his kingdom's great defence, and poured them down before him. We are sent to give thee from our royal master thanks, only to herald thee into his sight, not pay thee. And, for an earnest of a greater honour, he bade me from him call thee Thane of Cawdor, in which addition, hail, most worthy Thane, for it is thine. What? Can the devil speak true? The Thane of Cawdor lives. Why do you dress me in borrowed robes? Who was the Thane lives yet, but under a heavy judgment bears that life which he deserves to lose. Whether he was combined with those of Norway, or did lie in a rebel with hidden help and vantage, or that with both he laboured in his country's rack, I know not. But treason's capital, confessed and proved, have overthrown him. Aside. Glance, and Thane of Cawdor, the greatest is behind. To Ross and Angus. Thanks for your pains. To Banquo. Do you not hope your children shall be kings, when those that gave the Thane of Cawdor to me promised no less to them? That trusted home might yet enkindle you unto the crown, besides the Thane of Cawdor. But tis strange, and oftentimes to win us to our harm, the instruments of darkness tell us truths, win us with honest trifles, to betray us in deepest consequence. Cousins, a word, I pray you. Aside. Two truths are told, as happy prologues to the swelling act of the imperial theme. I thank you, gentlemen. Aside. This supernatural soliciting cannot be ill, cannot be good. If ill, why hath it given me earnest of success, commencing in a truth? I am Thane of Cawdor. If good... Why do I yield to that suggestion, whose horrid image doth unfix my hair, and make my seated heart knock at my ribs against the use of nature? Present fears are less than horrible imaginings. My thought, whose murder yet is but fantastical, shakes o'er my single state of man that function is smothered in surmise, and nothing is but what is not. Look how our partner's wrapped. Aside. If chance will have me king, why, chance may crown me without my stir. New honours come upon him, like our strange garments, cleave not to their mould, but with the aid of use. Aside. Come what come may, time and the hour runs through the roughest day. Worthy Macbeth, we stay upon your leisure. Give me your favour. My dull brain was wrought with things forgotten. Kind gentlemen, your pains are registered where every day I turn the leaf to read them. Let us toward the king. Think upon what hath chanced, and at more time, the interim having weighed it, let us speak our free hearts each to other. Very gladly. Till then, enough. Come, friends. Exeunt. Act 1, Scene 4
Horace, The Palace Flourish, Enter Duncan, Malcolm, Donalbane, Lennox, and Attendants. Is execution done on corridor? Are not those in commission yet returned? My liege, they are not yet come back, but I have spoke with one that saw him die, who did report that very frankly he confessed his treasons, implored your highness's pardon, and set forth a deep repentance. Nothing in his life became him like the leaving it. He died as one that had been studied in his death to throw away the dearest thing he owed as twere a careless trifle. There's no art to find the mind's construction in the face. He was a gentleman on whom I built an absolute trust. Enter Macbeth, Banquo, Ross, and Angus. O oh, worthiest cousin, the sin of my ingratitude even now was heavy on me. Thou art so far before that swiftest wing of recompense is slow to overtake thee. Wouldst thou hadst less deserved that the proportion both of thanks and payment might have been mine. Only I have left to say, More is thy due than more than all can pay. The service and the loyalty I owe in doing it pays itself. Your Highness's part is to receive our duties, and our duties are to your throne and state children and servants, which do but what they should by doing everything safe toward your love and honour. Welcome hither. I have begun to plant thee, and will labour to make thee full of growing. Noble Banquo, thou hast no less deserved, nor must be known no less to have done so. Let me enfold thee, and hold thee to my heart. There if I grow, the harvest is your own. My plenteous joys, wanton in fullness, seek to hide themselves in drops of sorrow. Sons, kinsmen, thanes, and you whose places are the nearest, no, we will establish our state upon our eldest, Malcolm, whom we name hereafter the Prince of Cumberland, which honour must not unaccompanied invest him only, but signs of nobleness, like stars, shall shine on all deservers. From hence to Inverness, and bind us further to you. The rest is labour, which is not used for you. I'll be myself the harbinger, and make joyful the hearing of my wife with your approach. So humbly take my leave. My worthy Cador. Aside. Prince of Cumberland, that is a step on which I must fall down, or else or leap, for in my way it lies. Stars, hide your fires. Let not light see my black and deep desires. The eye wink at the hand. Yet let that be which the eye fears when it is done to see. Exit. True, wealthy Banquo. He is full so valiant, and in his commendations I am fed. It is a banquet to me. Let's after him, whose care is gone before to bid us welcome. It is a peerless kinsman. Flourish. Exeunt. Act One, Scene Five. Inverness. Macbeth's Castle. Enter Lady Macbeth, reading a letter. They met me in the day of success, and I have learned by the perfectest report they have more in them than mortal knowledge. When I burned in desire to question them further, they made themselves air into which they vanished, whilst I stood rapt in the wonder of it, 
came missives from the king, who all hailed me Thane of Cordor, by which title before these weird sisters saluted me, and referred me to the coming on of time, with Hail, King that shalt be. This have I thought good to deliver thee, my dearest partner of greatness, that thou mightst not lose the dues of rejoicing, by being ignorant of what greatness is promised thee. Lay it to thy heart, and farewell. Glamis thou art, and Cordor, and shalt be what thou art promised. Yet do I fear thy nature. It is too full o' the milk of human kindness to catch the nearest way. Thou wouldst be great, art not without ambition, but without the illness should attend it. What thou wouldst highly, that wouldst thou holily. Wouldst not play false, and yet wouldst wrongly win. Thou'lst have, great Glamis, that which cries, Thus thou must do if thou have it, and that which rather thou dost fear to do, than wishest should be undone. Hie thee hither, that I may pour my spirits in thine ear, and chastise with the valour of my tongue all that impedes thee from the golden round, which fate and metaphysical aid doth seem to have thee crowned withal. Enter a messenger. What is your tidings? The king comes here to-night. Thou'rt mad to say it. Is not thy master with him, who, wert so, would have informed for preparation? So please you, it is true. Our thane is coming. One of my fellows had the speed of him, who, almost dead for breath, had scarcely more than would make up his message. Give him tending, he brings great news. Exit messenger. The raven himself is hoarse, that croaks the fatal entrance of Duncan under my battlements. Come, you spirits that tend on mortal thoughts, unsex me here, and fill me from the crown to the toe-top full of direst cruelty. Make thick my blood. Stop up the access and passage to remorse, that no compunctious visitings of nature shake my fell purpose, nor keep peace between the effect and it. Come to my woman's breasts, and take my milk for gall, you murdering ministers, wherever in your sightless substances you wait on nature's mischief. Come, thick night, and pall thee in the dunnest smoke of hell, that my keen knife see not the wound it makes, nor heaven peep through the blanket of the dark to cry, Hold! Hold! Enter Macbeth. Great Glamis, worthy Cordor, greater than both by the all-hail hereafter. Thy letters have transported me beyond this ignorant present, and I feel now the future in the instant. My dearest love, Duncan comes here to-night. And when goes hence? To-morrow, as he purposes. Oh, never shall sun that morrow see. Your face, my thane, is as a book, where men may read strange matters. To beguile the time, look like the time. Bear welcome in your eye, your hand, your tongue. 
look like the innocent flower, but be the serpent under it. He that's coming must be provided for, and you shall put this night's great business into my dispatch, which shall to all our nights and days to come give solely sovereign sway and masterdom. We will speak further. Only look up clear. To alter favour ever is to fear. Leave all the rest to me. Exeunt. Act One, Scene Six. Before Macbeth's Castle. Hortboys and Torches. Enter Duncan, Malcolm, Donalbane, Banquo, Lennox, Macduff, Ross, Angus, and attendants. This castle hath a pleasant seat. The air nimbly and sweetly recommends itself unto our gentle senses. This guest of summer, the temple-haunting Martlet, does approve, by his loved mansionry, that the heaven's breath smells wooingly here. No jutty frieze buttress, nor coin of vantage, but this bird hath made his pendant bed and procreant cradle. Where they most breed and haunt, I have observed, the air is delicate. Enter Lady Macbeth. See, see, our honoured hostess, the love that follows us sometime is our trouble, which we still thank as love. Herein I teach you how you shall bid God illness for your pains, and thank us for your trouble. All our service in every point twice done, and then done double, were poor and single business to contend against those honours deep and broad wherewith your majesty loads our house. For those of old and the late dignities heaped up to them, we rest your hermits. Where's the thane of Cordor? We cursed him at the heels, and had a purpose to be his purveyor. But he rides well, and his great love, sharp as his spur, hath holped him to his home before us. Fair noble hostess, we are your guests to-night. Your servants ever have theirs, themselves, and what is theirs, in count, to make their audit at your highness' pleasure, still to return your own? Give me your hand. Conduct me to mine host. We love him highly, and shall continue our graces toward him. By your leave, hostess. Exeunt. Act One, Scene Seven. The same, a room in Macbeth's castle. Hortboys and torches. Enter a sower and divers servants with dishes and service, and pass over the stage. Then enter Macbeth. If it were done, when tis done, then to a well it were done quickly. If the assassination could trammel up the consequence, and catch with his surcease success, that but this blow might be the be-all and end-all here, but here, upon this bank and shoal of time, we jump the life to come. But in these cases we still have judgment here, that we but teach bloody instructions, which, being taught, return to plague the inventor. This even-handed justice commends the ingredients of our poisoned chalice to our own lips. He's here in double trust. First, as I am his kinsman and his subject, strong both against the deed. Then, as his host, who should against his murderer shut the door, not bear the knife myself. 
Besides, this Duncan hath borne his faculties so meek, hath been so clear in his great office, that his virtues will plead like angels, trumpet-tongued against the deep damnation of his taking off, and pity, like a naked new-born babe striding the blast, or heaven's cherubim, horsed on the sightless couriers of the air, shall blow the horrid deed in every eye, that tears shall drown the wind. I have no spur to prick the sides of my intent, but only vaulting ambition, which o'erleaps itself and falls on thither. Enter Lady Macbeth. How now? What news? He has almost supped. Why have you left the chamber? Hath he asked for me? No, you not he has. We will proceed no further in this business. He hath honoured me of late, and I have bought golden opinions from all sorts of people, which would be worn now in their newest gloss, not cast aside so soon. Was the hope drunk wherein you dressed yourself? Hath it slept since, and wakes it now to look so green and pale at what it did so freely? From this time such I account thy love. Art thou afeard to be the same in thine own act and valour as thou art in desire? Wouldst thou have that, which thou esteemest the ornament of life, and live a coward in thine own esteem, letting I dare not wait upon I would, like the poor cat i' the adage? Prithee, peace! I dare do all that may become a man, who dares do more is none. What beast wast then that made you break this enterprise to me? When you durst do it, then you were a man, and to be more than what you were, you would be so much more the man. Nor time nor place did then adhere, and yet you would make both. They have made themselves, and that their fitness now does unmake you. I have given suck, and know how tender tis to love the babe that milks me. I would, while it was smiling in my face, have plucked my nipple from his boneless gums, and dashed the brains out, had I so sworn as you have done to this. If we should fail? We fail. But screw your courage to the sticking place, and will not fail. When Duncan is asleep, whereto the rather shall his day's hard journey soundly invite him, his two chamberlains will I with wine and wassail, so convince that memory, the warder of the brain, shall be a fume, and the receipt of reason a limbeck only. When in swinish sleep their drenched natures lie as in a death, what cannot you and I perform upon the unguarded Duncan? What not put upon his spongy officers, who shall bear the guilt of our great quell? Bring forth men, children, only, for thy undaunted metal should compose nothing but males. Will it not be received when we have marked with blood those sleepy two of his own chamber, and used their very daggers that they have done? Who dares receive it other? as we shall make our griefs and clamour roar upon his death. I am settled, and bend up each corporal agent to this terrible feat. Away, 
and mock the time with fairest show. False face must hide what the false heart doth know. Exeunt. End of Act One.